Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation and you take it from there. This is Fundamentally Drained and I'm here this morning being the first one to talk and it's super awkward. <laughs> I'm here I with didn't Justin. actually mean you had to do oh, it. Oh, really? Go, please. Sorry. Take it away, Justin. I mean, Tom. Okay. Sorry. Justin told me to do the intro and I misunderstood. <laughs> All right. So today, guys, we're going to talk about congregationalism. Do you know what that means, Everett and Justin? No, Tom. Please tell us. Okay. So when uh, the American colonies began, I know when all of you listeners were wanting to turn off your you know, podcast as soon as I said that <laughs> sentence, but just hang with me for a second. It was very American to be independent. A lot of the people who came to this country came for freedom of religion, and uh, they planted churches, and they were what's called congregationalists, or they were independent. So each congregation could elect a board, usually of good old boys, old old men who uh, made the decision. it was always men, right? Always men made the decision for the churches, so it could it had a it had a sense of democracy about it, which is very American. You guys hanging with me so far? Yeah, indeed. With you. Yes. Okay, so they um, were in opposition to those Catholics over in Maryland, or Maryland, and <laughs> in Virginia. And in other more established colonies, there were all these Anglicans. In fact, did you know when the Mayflower landed, there were already 22 uh, Anglican priests in the colonies and lots of established Anglican churches? Really? I did not know that. The uh, eighth grade history version of American history is that, you know, the Mayflower were the first people on on the American soil. That's not the case. (laughs) Anyway... So you had the Native Americans here, too. I was going to say, there was some other people here, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks for saving me from terrible (laughs) embarrassment there. So the uh, my point is that's there were kind of basically two different forms of church governance. You have congregationalists and you had folks that were led by a bishop and or the government. In our case, the Anglicans were led by some guys overseas. The Catholics were led by some guys over the ocean, and then the Congregationalists were led by themselves. And so that sounds very American. Fast forward 250 years to our present day. It's pretty much still the situation that we find ourselves in. And for me, when I was in a fundamentalist evangelical church, it was sort of the last holdout for me on how can I make this decision. Decision. I was really drawn to liturgy. I was really drawn to um, the historic church. But I thought, how could I let some guy in a pointy hat tell me what to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? How could I, which isn't really the way it works, but how could I 
give up freedom is how it felt. Hmm. The American idea of self-governance, of self-rule, which is all very Christian, is it not, guys? I'm being sarcastic. I was going to say, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, do you guys get where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. So the responses so far? Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. I said responses so far. Okay. The pointy hat guy was, in my world growing up, could be the Antichrist. Yes. Not mine, but yes. Yeah. So that was the way that, and the pointy hat guy is the Pope. Um, is is what we referred to as, and you may be using bishops, other things. I don't know if you're specifically talking about the Pope. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I get that there was a there was something to Catholicism um, that growing up it was just something, and I don't know where this came from. I, I really don't because I don't. My my mother and father didn't sit down and say, "Okay, this is bad. These people are bad." Kind of thing. It was just something that kind of oozed out of the cracks, if you will. Um, that this. Um, so uh, I have a question first, Tom. What's the, you know what's what's? What, oh, can I can I say something really? And I, and I feel like I may have said this before, but what's interesting is is that some of our views about separation of church and state uh, in our country are actually rooted in anti-Catholic. Um, bias. So, Amen. Um, yeah. You, you, you realistically, most of your schools were um, religious schools that were state funded. Um, the idea of having a public education system hadn't quite fully taken um, hold, and so most of your schools were run by churches, funded by um, state and local governments. And there was this huge concern about. Um, giving money to the Roman Catholics because of all the horrible things that Roman Catholics obviously would do to the children. And so that's that was sort of the impetus for um, developing separation of church and state policies was to prevent public funding going to Roman Catholic schools. Wow. What um, period I- of time are you talking about, Everett? Um. This is uh, this is probably late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay. So, I have to ask. I have to have you clarify something. You are talking about what you said, what they do to children. What is that referring to in the 1700s? Well, so the uh, so the thought was is that like you know like nuns were would be torturing children and. You know, it was it, it. There was all sorts of stories that were made up about what, um, you know, what Roman Catholics, you know, did. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that went that far back, if you will. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. So, what's the opposite? Let's 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 jump into a little bit of terminology here. What is the opposite of congregationalist? Is it apostolic? I mean, congregationalism, is it apostolic? Well, I think when we were trying to name our church, when a name was settled on, the most generic name we could come up with was Episcopal. Because it's it's kind of the opposite of congregational. It means led by church. All Episcopal means is church led by a bishop. Right. All all congregational means is church led by a 
congregation. Right. However, they decide to do that. No, good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I thought outside of it. Okay, so congregationalism is the govern the church itself, like the the. And we're talking about the building, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. people within that congregation governing themselves, where Episcopal is something that is led by a bishop or a hierarchy. Right. And Tom, I, Tom, I've never been, I mean, so I didn't grow up in a congregationalist um, church. Um, I thought you were a Presbyterian. Well, but I mean, I, what I'm saying is, I just I don't I don't remember I don't remember. I mean, I'm just saying I don't remember it. Like I don't remember church fights and and stuff oh. that came down to votes. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Like yeah. I, it just it wasn't a big part of of my church identity. But I I do know um, some churches where literally the you know I, you know matters are taken to the whole uh, church and and major fights have happened over you know do we you know, retain pastor so-and-so or, um, yeah, right. and, um, I, I, have you, have you ever, in your background, did you ever experience any of that? It, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> Not, yes, that is an understatement. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, Do you have PTSD now? <laughs> well, no, no, no. But, uh, yes, man, church fights over all kinds of minutia. And if, like, someone from my childhood denomination listening to this would say, we're not congregational, we're led by elders, like a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. But if the members agree to who the, you know, they put up these names and then they say, uh, does anyone object? It's just the same way a Baptist church elects a pastor. They call them, the church votes, essentially. We don't take an official vote, but if a lot of people objected, it it wouldn't have happened, you know. So, uh, it and to me, what's interesting about this isn't the nuance of how decisions are made in a church, but how that form of church decision making and governance or has become so rooted in what it means to be Christian in the United States and how it's not in. There's not much scripture about each. In fact, I can't think of any examples where it says, and I grew up hearing that, each church is independent from the other church, and we can see that in scripture. You can't see that in scripture. I mean, when they were trying to decide if the Gentiles would be included in the church, they got all the leaders of all the churches together, and they met in Jerusalem for a council, and they prayed and talked about it. Right. The, the the apostles, the leadership, the um, there is the term bishop at that time. So uh, you see that in scripture that, um, and I don't hear, I don't see like Ananias and Sapphira. I don't want some guy in a pointy hat telling me what to do. Came and laid the money at the apostles' feet, and then they're dead. You know, <laughs> that's not that never happened in my church growing up. <laughs> But you get what I'm trying to say. How how has that become so rooted in our American experience of Christian? This idea of independence, no one can boss me around or tell me what to do, doesn't seem very biblical. You know what 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 comes to mind is um, Nadia Boltz Weber 
in one of one of her books or one of her writings, you know, talks about, you know, and, and so Nadia, you know, if you know anything about her, she can be, you know, um, she can be a little outspoken. <laughs> um, and, and, and one of the things she says is, is like, I need the accountability right. Right. of a bishop. I need the accountability of a wider church that, that sets parameters for which I am to sort of operate in. Like, I, like she goes, my personality, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> my personality is such that I like I need that in my own spiritual life. And and I think there's some people who sit there and they see um, you know, the the church structure as an obstacle rather than as a gift. And I know in the Episcopal Church, I mean the Episcopal Church moves slowly, like you know, there are people who sit there and like, well, why aren't we doing this? And it's like, you know, our structure is designed in such a way to move slowly um, so that we're not, um, as Paul would write in Ephesians, blown, you know, by doctrine here and fro, but that, um, you know, that we're having to think these things out. And so, so structure, in my opinion, in my experience, is a giftedness of the church, even in times in which I'm like, why aren't we moving faster? There's something to be, um, yeah. That uh, Nadia Boltz Weber interview, I've seen that too. Some, it, it, it's a, it's a YouTube interview. I've seen because she oh, it's said, a, on being. I think it's the on being with Chris. Okay, yeah, and she says that you know she goes, "Have you seen me?" <laughs> she goes, yeah. "I need someone over me," <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's a good point. Um, but I think that uh, there is a lot to be said for having more than just the present congregation involved uh, because a lot of times just like ourselves um, just like if you, each of you which um, I assume you both have a, some kind of spiritual director in your life someone who is outside of your own congregation that can look into your life um, and speak to it because sometimes when we get too close to one another, um, I mean, you can see this in examples all over, um, <clears throat> our world, uh, people who are just internal and they get into a mob mentality and this is right and you're wrong and so on. And no one from the outside, their perspective is accepted. Um, and so I think if you're, if people are honest with themselves, that can happen very easily within a congregation or parish. And so I think that, that outside influence, that outside, you know, truth speaking is required, uh, with all that said, <clears throat> that's what the hierarchy can do. Something of a bishop, um, and, and others can sit and speak to it as opposed to, um, you can get very unhealthy, very toxic, very fast in a culture in a church that is completely ran internally within the doors, if you will, of the church. And that, and for me, that's what it came down to. Having worked for ten years, and like the rules changed at every church. In one church, it felt like um, we had a lot of folks that worked at Conoco Phillips. And we kind of function by the rules of that company hmm. because the elders, many of them had worked there or did work there. And then the next church I was at, we had a lot of elders who had worked in education. So we kind of functioned by the rules of the school system. And <laughs> it was just everyone was different. And uh, 
And and now, and I want to say it for those listening, my bishop does not tell me what to do. Like, I don't call him up every day and say, you know, here's what's happening. I, I would if half our building was blown down by a tornado or something, you know, but um, on a day-to-day basis or even month-to-month basis, um, it's more like he's holding together the the unity of the church, but he's not bossing people around. Um, and he went to school for 10 years, and he's got an education. He knows theology. He knows the church. He knows he worked in the church. He has all this experience, so it's 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 direction that I feel good about when he gives it to me. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and but but I think I think I I, I think sort of and and this is sort of the interesting part of this um, for me in this whole conversation is about one the uniqueness of of, of American Christianity which focuses more upon independence rather than interdependence. So rather than seeing us interrelated, we see ourselves as, uh, um, uh, we see ourselves as in in independence from one another. And, and I think that, um, and, and I think that's, that's to our detriment. Um, when, when we see ourselves as a part, apart from the whole rather than as a part of the whole, um, I, I, I think our vision and, and images are limited. So what is our, what's our goal here in this discussion? And not, not necessarily goal, I guess, but um, it's kind of introducing this idea that <clears throat> so many people, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, seem to think, not seem to think, but so many people think that the governing body of a church, like the Episcopal Church or or Catholic Church and things like that, are bad because other people are, are elsewhere telling other telling people what to do. And that seems to come from a time when they're and you can correct me where I'm wrong here, um, that you know, there's a king in charge. And the king, whatever the king says, that's what goes. Right. And so that kind of gets, um, you know, especially when you talk about the colonies and things like that and why people left England and and for this freedom and and so on. um, And which it was actually due to corruptness. You know, if you haven't watched the Tudors, (laughs) you know, you could see. Well, I mean, the the pilgrims, pilgrims came here because of religious persecution in England. Right. By the Church of England. Right. Um, so, if it was not the Church of England uh, persecuting people, we would not have Thanksgiving. So, next November, thank an Episcopalian. <laughs> and it's not like that corruption doesn't exist in democratic forms of government right. as well. Right. So when we okay, so here, here, let me say this, uh, or kind of two things. So there is something that that just very human when you have something that you perceive as wrong. And I'm say perceive because we, we sometimes aren't honest with ourselves. Our reaction uh, in the human way is to go the complete and utter opposite of that. So if this is corrupt, having a hierarchy, having bishops, you know, the so on, then we're going to go the complete opposite and we're going to rule ourselves. Right. So, 
there you go. That's the complete opposite of what reaction happens. Uh, the other side of this um, in our world and what I see is the quick trip church um, and, <clears throat> and, and how we have churches on every corner uh, in, in our world, in, in, in Oklahoma. You can. There are literally more churches than quick trips, <laughs> by far, and um, so something when I came into the Episcopal Church that I did not understand was the process that one must go through to be ordained, and uh, there is you know a year of discernment, and then there's three years of seminary. Again, correct me or I'm wrong there, and um, and so Joe um, can't come off the street and have a calling by God and start a church in the Episcopal Church because there are safeguards in place that will go through many, many, many um, internal, uh, what interviews, let's just say, and external to our parish or congregation, whatever it may be, uh, that require people to go through and make sure this calling is shared by the community. Because uh, that's what's important in itself, too, is that the community recognize someone's gift and someone's calling um, as opposed to Joe just doing what Joe wants to do. And sorry if there's a Joe listening. <laughs> right. Poor Joe. Poor Joe. Well, when I was an undergrad and I was trying to decide what to do and I was leaning towards a ministry degree, um, I ended up doing history. But... Um, I remember one of my professors joking with me. He was asking me about it. He was trying to persuade me towards a different course. <laughs> but I said, I'm thinking about ministry. And he said, oh, you want to be an insurance agent? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? He's like, well, 80%, the last stat was 80% of the Bible majors end up doing, selling, you know, insurance. insurance. And uh, and that's true. I've, 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 looked at that stat and it's high it was higher actually in most schools but uh wow in our church they do the discernment on the front end before you go to seminary you're raised up by a parish and they i mean crazy still gets through but less it happens less often in my (laughs) experience but uh the idea is that um, to try to help people know ahead of time, you know, how hard this is going to be and what they're going to face and that this is a tough job and it's a calling, you know? Right. So. Well, and I think this is, and, and, and this is, you know, for me, um, so there was a recent um, article in the Living Church that was written by someone who was just talking about how um, liturgy, sacrament, tradition, is something that's becoming more and more popular and more common um, among churches, and so um, is you know, there's, it really there's, though? Well, you know, I really, I, I think so. I and, keep hearing that, but I'm like, eh. so anyway, sorry, not the. I mean, I'm seeing you're your seeing point. more you're seeing more churches that are adopting the liturgical tradition. You're seeing more churches, like even those that are some of free church tradition that yeah. are like preaching or reading from a lectionary. Um, okay. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to but, kick your point. But, 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 but the, the point of the article was that in, in, in many of these sort of more freer church traditions, um, it, it's, it's not an identity. It's, 
it, it, it's a marketing scheme, right? And and so they're they're adopting the thing that seems to be um, seems to be testing well, huh. um, and and they're finding out oh people have a real deep hunger for the spirituality and stuff like that. So well we're going to adopt that um, for for now. And then you know I see some of these churches and I try not to be a jerk, but I am you know you're a jerk. So, I am somewhat of a jerk and I just sit there and I'm like, you know, tradition is not like a coat that you sort of put on this week and the next week you take it off. I mean, it's, there's, there's an embodiment to it that, um, as this article said, that they don't really, it's not being embodied. Why? Because they're not beholden to, um, a tradition and to a process and, um, to a wider identity because it's just something that they voted to, 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 to adopt. Hmm. There is, uh, along that line of something of like, you know, they're adopting it for, for marketing reasons. That's what you're saying. (laughs) This is, this is a marketing thing. Um, and, uh, and you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we, and I, and, and I, and, and I mean, hear me. I mean, I, I mean, I really think that they're finding meaning and, and stuff out of it. I mean, I'm not saying that that they're not being legitimate or truthful and saying, wow, we find real meaning in communion or we find real meaning in saying a creed. But there's a difference between embodying that in a really deep way in the tradition and right. just sort of adopting it as, well, this is this is the newest fad, like, I mean, there's churches that every 10 years go through this rediscovery of, of, of what God's calling them to be. And, oh, it just happens that it aligns with whatever the latest church growth, you know, books say to do. Yeah, I, I can't, like, sit there and say that I don't do the same thing as a youth minister, in a, in a sense, moving through, testing out different events and spaces of seeing what you know draws attention and and and, and um somewhat somewhat i don't know if i'm that guilty <laughs> no, but that sounds terrible but at the same time i am playing to a crowd of involvement that hopefully takes a closer moves into a closer relationship with god Whatever that space is, that's what I'm looking for. But um, now I'm going to try and get myself off the hook. We always come back to liturgy. Um, we always come back to noonday prayer. There's a Compline. There's something involved in that process that is always within our tradition. Um, there, there's a lot of, I've read in the past, a lot about how the church should never move fast. And that seems to be something that I have held on to because that makes sense to me in where the church's decisions are things that you sit with. And to get in a hurry as the church is to move into the wrong, I think, um, because enough minds have not come together, enough prayer has not been prayed in order to decide wh- what movement and where to go with things. I'm being ambiguous, but that's the purpose because I'm not going to pick a, a topic. Um, but it just seems like the latest trend, whatever that may be, I know people love to make fun of tight jeaned, tattooed, you know, people on stage and stuff like that, um, playing, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go that far. Uh, and so that seems to be a movement that is 
popular right now, and, and it is what it is. Um, but it just feels like it's trying to play to crowds sometimes, and I feel like we need, as the church, to slow down because it's been around a really long time. But I also feel like that is prodded with some kind of eternal damnation uh, fear of hell and things like that. That it's like, okay, well, if, if we don't turn these people, then they can burn and, th- and, and moving that down that road. I, I don't know where that to- topic takes us, but I feel like some of the marketing gets prodded in a way um, to where it's something that we're trying to do for these other people before it's too late. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> I love when I get those kind of answers. It does make sense. I I think that we... I mean, we, we do the same things. We don't generally change our whole worship style, but we do... Uh, right. When there is a new thing, we, uh, we try to stick with it. Because when people's interests are perked, I mean, we're... Yeah. We're yeah. human, so... Right. So what? So what? Um, because I feel like we're just we're we're sitting in our bleachers, trying to cheer for the Episcopal Church, but there's no one on this podcast sitting in the other bleachers. So we can say whatever we want and act as right as we want to right now. But you know, so what's the downfalls to our Episcopal manner? Uh, sometimes we can't respond when we need to respond quicker. Hmm. Okay. That's an, there, that's very interesting. Yeah, I can there, see that. There, there are occasions when we when we need to respond quicker. Hmm. Um, okay. What else? Well, I mean, I do think. I mean, I, 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 I you know, the Episcopal Church's downside um, is that it, it, it does move slowly at times in which it needs to move quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, which I, I, I think this is true. I mean, I think of every organization's sort of um, instinct is for self-protection. Um, I mean, and when, so when it applies to an entire organization, an entire, right, so throughout the Episcopal Church, right, it's not just, you know, a congregation looking at self-protection, but the entire organization, um, you know, there's, there's, there's times in which, um, you know, the, the truth, I mean, I I mean, I mean, a prime example of this is, is that we had, um, we had somebody who was, uh, a bishop in Maryland, um, who had a history of alcoholism and drug use and was elected bishop Mm. and these things these things were known Mm. um but i think there was a sincere belief that she had worked through these and that this would be an okay pick um the the night before her consecration she is clearly intoxicated and somebody goes up to um, the presiding bishop uh, catherine jeffert shorey and says i'm concerned about this um, and rather than saying, yeah, you know, this is, this is warning behavior. We're going to put a pause to this It's well, we'll go on and, 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 and consecrate her a bishop and we'll just deal with this later. And mm-hmm. it never got dealt with. And so, so I'm not saying that Catherine Jefford Shorey is responsible for the, the biker that was killed, but 
but but the instinct of the organization was to protect, right? Well, let's not let's not embarrass ourselves oh, yeah, by pausing that's... this thing. And and so when it so when it goes throughout the entire thing, you know what I'm saying? That's that's does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that is the darkness of having something so big to take care of and and the public image. I mean, isn't that what Catholicism has been going through um, with priests for so long? Is you 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 know, it's that it's that protect the you know, and even you can you can relate that to some smaller congregation too, where something happens just because they're small, they're going to they're going to want to protect the institution. Gosh, that's the word I was looking for, the institution, and that can happen at the bit at the highest level and at the lowest level. So I don't think anyone's safe from that, but it's just sad when that happens and, and, and that and that happens also in churches that are led by congregational structure yeah that's what I, that's what i meant by yeah. smaller churches yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. that no one is safe from that and it's a it's a sin that you know we we tend to well we got to take care of the you know bigger picture and that's where small people you know fall into the cracks and get abused and whatnot so that could be very topic toxic. Thank you for bringing that up, uh, Everett. Okay, we're out of time. Um, so, what you, wrap around? What, what what's the thing you didn't get to say, Tom? <laughs> in this, uh, we say in the creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed, that we believe in this one Catholic Apostolic Church. Yep. And so, for me, that. I, I feel like this bishop, for me, not just the Episcopal Church, but this tie to this um, form of church government or form of the structure that's evolved over time is somehow tied to him, and not just him, but bishops and Episcopal, Orthodox, Catholic, you just keep going. And for me, for a long time, my church was very small. It was just my congregation. And uh, I thought the church had died for 1,500 years and came back during the American Reformation, you know. <laughs> and, that, and now my church is, the church, the universal church is all over the world. It's throughout time going back to the day of pentecost it's it's all it's always been wrong but it's always known someone the one who wasn't you know what i mean hmm. so that's what i would like to add hmm. everett um i'm good okay okay good i didn't expect that okay <laughs> i didn't think of what to say no i'm just kidding um you know, it's interesting because I think that um, this points to the Western Church um, and in the U.S., you know, um, a lot. We have that sense of independence and freedom, and, you know, no one's going to tell us what to do. And it just, I think that is something that sometimes gets in the way of the spirit. You know, or what else moves? And I don't, I don't, and I don't mean to say spirit, but I mean, you know, the apostolic, you know, so on. But um, 
it's just something to think about. Um, I mean, what are you committing yourselves to? And, and um, you know, the, the, the church itself being as important as it is, um, which is all of us, you know, all congregations, we are all the church together. Uh, but it's just something to look at, I think, and uh, think about and, and where we stand in it. Um, and so anyway, hopefully this gave everyone some information to think about and discuss with others. And uh, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening, and may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at at FunDrainPod. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.